0: As Randy says, the peace of Christ be with you. Okay, I'm learning the ways of Christ's community. My name is Greg. Uh, I'm the pastor of discipleship and spiritual formation here at Christ's community. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Um, We are in a series on discipleship, apprenticeship. What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord? What is this call? What's this all about? I just want to extend a a welcome to you uh, this morning, and it's glad that you're worshiping with us. We care deeply for you, and glad that you're here. And we have two weeks of our current discipleship series remaining this week, and Randy will close out next week on the life of a disciple. Just what is the life and compass of being a follower of Jesus Christ? And today we're going to talk about the pursuit of. If you are a follower in the Lord Jesus Christ, what should be your pursuit? And Paul uses, as Becky warned us this morning, and I can testify it's been a good, hard week with this text, Um, we are to pursue a life of training for the purpose of godliness. We're to pursue a life of training. Of godliness, so he issues a command in this text that we're getting ready to read, and he issues a purpose. What's the command for? So the command is going to be train. The purpose is going to be for godliness. That's where we're heading in this text this morning. So this is first chapter four, verses seven through ten. This is the word of God have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive Because we have our hope set on the living Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that this text is before us this morning. We ask for your grace. We ask for your presence. And ask now that you would pray for your own heart to prepare for what the Lord may have for you this morning. Pray for the person to your right. Pray for the person to your left. And I ask that you pray for the preacher. And Jesus, we ask all this in your mighty resurrected name. Amen. Not heard the Summer Olympics are coming. Any Olympic Olympic fans in the room? Paris 2024 is the Summer Olympics, right? It's a wonderful time. And if you've ever looked at the training regimen of an Olympic athlete, maybe someone in this room or listening has, has prepared to Olympic stardom, maybe. If so, all of us can relate with just, just listen to some of this training regimens that some of these um, Olympic athletes go through. I mean, they have training schedules that last for four years, right? Um, they, make, they make plans for physical training, mental training, diet training, emotional training. Uh, they have strength coaches. They have sports coaches. They have sports psychologists. They have nutritionists, right? And Their, their sole aim and objective is to win gold. It's not to place 13th in the pole vault. It's training to win. It's the highest level of athletic competition in the world. And just like a coach charges his athlete to train, Paul is is charging you and I to also train for the purpose of godliness. One of the many commands... And it's puzzling. And it can be perplexing. But there are many commands that Jesus gives his followers. And it's to pursue. It's to chase. It's to prioritize. It's to run towards something worthy that is valuable in this life and is valuable for all of eternity. And that one sole thing is godliness. And at the same time, this text Because anytime there's an intersection of where God's sovereignty, God's role, and our responsibility, human responsibility, meet, right, there has to be grace, right, to prevent us from wandering into the land of any type of, for that, Christianity, or legalistic approach to grace, right? The two terms don't even deserve to be in the same sentence. So, we have to remember as we enter this text that whatever God commands, that God commands what He wills, and He commands. God commands what He wills, and He wills what He commands. Meaning that His grace is the bridge for us to participate in the life that He is inviting us to train for. Okay, so just. His grace is sufficient. Student, parent, mother, father, adult, child. His grace is sufficient as we partner and participate with Him in this command to train for godliness. So let's first command. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Irreverent, silly myths, it literally means superstitious belief, folklore. In our modern context, it might mean reading your daily horoscope, right? Listening, uh, playing Ouija, right? Which is far more than irreverent. It's actually evil, right? He's saying stay away from any of those things that are ungodly. In Timothy's day, it was Greek mythology. He's saying stay away from it. When I was a freshman in high school, I did not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew about God. I grew up in a Christian I was not a believer or follower in Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, yeah, I knew enough about God that there was one of Him. Right? And then when Greek mythology came in in my English literature class in freshman and so forth, I mean, it confused the daylights out of me. Right? There's these myths coming into me like, Is there? the Now, Greek mythology, there's all these different types of gods of the sea and of the sun and of the, of the weather. And it just killed any type of spiritual path that I was on, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, stay away from it. Resist it. Run away from it. Refuse to be distracted by the controversies of the day. Refuse to be pulled in to the the, the politics, the sports, the education, the religion, all those things that distract you. Now, it's wise counsel to also say stay in faith, yet not to the point where it's going to separate you from your pursuit of godliness. Is that fair? I mean, he's saying stay aware, but also stay awake, stay away from those things that are going to pull you away from the gospel. And that's when he says, train yourself, the latter half of verse 7, train yourself for godliness. And that... Train here, I did not know that this week. It literally means to exercise, wait for it, naked. Did anybody know that? I didn't. Greek athletes, that this was being written, would train with zero hindrances, not even clothing. Right? So they could functionalize and train to the best of their ability to compete and win the competition. This training, it literally means... Uh, it comes from the word that we have in English, gymnasium. So one commentator interpreted the, the verse this way. Gymnasticize yourself for the training. Gymnasticize yourself for godliness. It means to train. It means to work. Have zero hindrances that are in the way. And we're going to talk about what godly mean, godliness means in a minute. The fact is that we're to train ourselves like an athlete trains to compete at the highest levels the Christian the disciple of Jesus is also to train unencumbered resist what's in the way Uh, athletes discipline themselves to get in shape and many of us have played athletics some of us may still compete students you're in athletics right it's you have to prioritize the time you have to commit your mind, your body, all of your existence to the workout you have to yourself from distractions. You have to deny yourself the, the simple luxuries in life. You have to remove whatever in your way of your practice, your training schedule. And as disciples, we too are to discipline and practice self-discipline to train us like that of an athlete. We must prioritize our time. We must remove those hindrances that are in our way. We're to untangle ourselves from distractions. We must work toward the accomplishment of godliness. Now, we're going to talk about how that happens. But the idea that Paul is after here is that we must train ourselves spiritually. Eugene Peterson. The author of the message, he interpreted this, train, this text this way. He said, exercise God. There's no spiritual flabbiness allowed. He's saying trim, cut. Last week we talked about pruning. What can you prune away to put yourself in position to just meet with God and train for Him? This word train, it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. Right? There's a continuation. No one can ever say I'm godly until you see the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfills you in his perfect godliness at the day that you will meet him face to face. In the meantime, this training is an ongoing process. It's a commitment, a lifetime commitment. It's also an active invitation. It's not a, this is not a let go and let God thing. It means get involved get in the gymnasium and begin working out and it's a command it's not a wish it's not an option it's not a suggestion it's not a hope that Paul has for Timothy it's a command from the throne of God to his people to work out your salvation to work towards the purpose of godliness Paul makes he takes this athlete metaphor in first Corinthians chapter nine, if you have your bibles, you can turn them on or turn just a moment look at this metaphor that he provides more context first Corinthians chapter nine verses twenty four through twenty seven he takes this this metaphor just a little that can provide context for us verse twenty four he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. He's saying it's not just on the field, or you just made the team, or to be in the race. Run the race to win. You're a disciple of Jesus. God is alive in you. He has saved you through the grace of of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is guiding your feelings, your actions. Your salvation is secure; it cannot be lost. That's worthy of praise for the rest of our lives. And at the same time, it's time to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus inwardly and outwardly. Run the race to win. Pursue godliness. In verse 25, he continues, he said, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self control in all things. They then do, they then receive a perishable wreath, but we, the we being Christians and followers of Jesus, receive an imperishable wreath. The one thing that distinguishes a champion from a second place competitor, Paul says, is self control. And that is one of the fruits of this that Randy will unpack next week. They control their schedule, athletes. They they control their training, their diet, their sleeping habits. They tell their body what to do. They're not submissive to their body, they tell their body what to do. Paul's instructing you and I, as followers, to put athletes to shame the way that we are to train as disciples of Jesus because what they compete for is mere gold which is a tarnishable, perishable metal, we compete for an imperishable wreath, the crown of righteousness that Jesus gives his child when you see Jesus face to face and you have done good and faithful service. Servant. That's the crown. That's our gold. Until then, train yourself. So how can this be applied to us? How can you apply this, this training? Well, just are you self-disciplined in your spiritual life? Do you see yourself as a disciple in training? Do you see yourself someone that's arrived? Are you doing heavy lifting in God's word? Are you allowing God's word to penetrate your heart? What was impactful for me this week is what needs to be trimmed back? so you can put yourself in a better position to train. By God's grace, he may be asking you to commit to something. And if he is, he will reveal that to you. He'll lead you to it. The purpose of all this training is for godliness. He says, train yourself for godliness. So that's the purpose. So the command is train. The purpose is for godliness. It means reverence and awe. It refers to the inner condition of the heart. It's the inner life of the human spirit. It needs to be gripped with something outside of our own daily concerns, something external, something higher than ourselves. It's God Himself that we're to grip onto. And this theme of godliness is like a closed line that he gave in his first letters, because he used the word fifteen times in his two letters. To Timothy there's nine in this letter alone so it's a very substantial it's a significant theme that Paul is inviting his disciples the disciples of Jesus to consider it's that combination of both fear for the Lord while also loving the Lord it's a life dominated by devotion to God a lifestyle that reflects the character of God it's why John Calvin the great reformed theologian said godliness is the beginning, the middle, and the end of Christian living. There is nothing. The godly person walks with God at home, at work, at church, at school, at play, at rest. Godliness includes godly thoughts, godly decisions, godly speech, godly behavior, for godliness comes from a God-centered life. Do you see why this, I preface this this morning, God's sovereignty, human responsibility, if you're feeling that tension, good. It's difficult to hear this. It's difficult to preach this. Right? God's grace is the bridge because he wants, above all else, his people to be godly. Think about training this way. When pure water flows through a rusty pipe, even the water Becomes rusty because of all the impurities it passes through. And when that pure message of the gospel comes flowing through our lives, corruption in your souls, in the same way it influences the message that we bring into the lives of others. So, what Paul is saying to all of us is that we are more important, the more, the more important thing is who we are becoming. do for God. And I have a personal experience with this. This is a quote that's in my office, that God cares more about who you are more than what you do. It's important what we do for God. And I lived this in 14 years before transition to vocational ministry um, for 14 years. And I was a baby Christian. I came to the Lord around 24 and I was a product of the environment, meaning this environment of this culture this work-based culture where there was great worldly rewards available and i worked my- i worked and i served and god was faithful yet at the same time i did not like who i was becoming as a result of that environment and it was godless godless and i was trying to be salt and i was trying And I finally realized the Lord took me to a specific passage and said, do you like who you're becoming? You're getting a lot of accolades, a lot of rewards. And I finally just had to say, Lord, this is not who I want to become. wasn't strong. I had it, but it was not good, fertile, deep-rooted soil where the root of gospel, of grace, could take root. It was being built through that struggle. Yet at the same time, I came to learn that our godliness is more important than our gifting. Our walk with God is more important than our work for God. Our holiness is more important than the platform that God's given us. Our integrity over profits, our soul over success... So that's what we're to pursue. We're to pursue godliness. Pursue character over kingdom. God's character being built in you versus building a kingdom for yourself. In verse 8, Paul says, here's the value. What's the value of that? Bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying bodily exercise, it's one dimension, it's one dimensional, and you can't take it with you. Because the gospel says that the renewal of all things, you get new bodies, you get glorified bodies. That's the hope of the gospel. I've lived athletics, many of us have, it requires a lot. It requires dedication, it requires determination, right? It it requires physical training, rising early, sleeping, self-restraint, training when no one's watching, self-motivation. All those requirements served me well so I could physically compete at a high level. But Paul is telling you what's required to train to compete to train for godliness. Those are the same characteristics are needed, yet they are temporary. They're temporary. In this life, godliness, it brings joy, it brings spiritual power, it brings peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, it brings into your life. Jesus comes and makes a home inside of you. And when it comes to Christian character, that is the only thing that we can take with us. Our godliness is what goes with us. It's temporary, yet it is profound in eternity. A helpful example. When it comes to physical conditioning, it helps many of us may have hired a trainer. Some of us may be a physical trainer. Right? If you want to get your body in shape right, and start training for something, whatever that thing is, It's helpful. A trainer's job is to set schedule of exercise to create an environment for discipline to happen for a purpose of whatever it is, to compete, to healthy, to lose weight, whatever it is, right? And there's a sense that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has a spiritual trainer in the Holy Spirit. He is the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the sanctifier, the spirit of truth, Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to produce the life of God in the child of God. You have a spiritual trainer. And it brings life and fruit in this life and it's preparing you for the perfection of life to come. So how do we practice godliness? Verse 10. And this is the hard text. Hard text. This is the harder text. This is all hard. We toil, we strive, we have hope set on the living God who is the same, especially of those who believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the call is to participate in your sanctification. It's a big word. It simply means growing in godliness, becoming more holy. There is a call. Dallas Willard wrote in The Great Omission a great book. He said, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. We can't earn God's grace, but God's grace certainly invites us to partner with Him in this pursuit of our sanctification. The word t- here it literally means um, to work to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> Strive, it literally means, it comes from the English word agony, which means to engage in a the struggle. These are like fighting words they're certainly engaging it's an active obedience it's not a passive resignation in other words paul is saying timothy man and woman child student here if godliness was easy everyone would be godly it's not meant to be easy so paul is building this connection between life now from verse seven or verse eight let me explain. He's saying sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to become more godly over a lifetime. Glorification, when we are called home, the work of the Holy Spirit will perfect that and give us the perfect God Christ. And they can't be separated. The godliness begins in this life is the root of our glorification. Our glorification is the fruit of our sanctification. So what we do in this life, the godliness that Jesus is providing and building inside of us, will bear fruit for all of eternity. Which is why we train for godliness with spiritual practices. Randy and I just finished a four-week class on just different practices modeled in scripture. That that series was based on of just what it means. What are some things that we can practice? Not just do to do them, but practice. We open God's word. We read it. We have it read to us. We worship both publicly and privately. We serve. We share the gospel. We give, a hope for the hope, we give an answer for the hope that we have. We fast. We participate in all these practices that are modeled and uh, displayed in Scripture for us. And that's what they are. Spiritual practices, they're just practices. They derive zero spiritual power in the practice themselves. Rightly practiced, with right motivations, we rely on God's grace to flow in and through those practices. This is a table. This is a practice. Coming to communion is a practice that we... We practice as a community of of of, of, fam, of believers. Like confessing here in a few moments, that's a practice. Being assured of our of our of our of God's grace through our, our confession, that's a practice. And there are just simple means to an end. This is key to understanding. Paul doesn't outline in this text things to do from Wednesday about how to train for godliness. But all of scripture does outline there are some basic things that Jesus and the disciples and Paul practiced to train for godliness. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they worshiped God's word. And guess what? They missed God in the f- and they rejected him. Right? Their practice of worshiping and memorizing God's word was a means to an end. It was a works-based righteousness. Now I do have an example for you. I have struggled, I have attempted many times to start reading the Bible in a year. And I class back uh, 4 weeks ago. The reading of the scriptures over a year is a great practice. Just reading some every day. It's a great practice. Here's where I got in my own way. So when I realized that I was reading scripture over for the purpose of achievement or accomplishment or out of boys or look what I did, I did that for two years, and I can probably stand right up here and say there was no spiritual fruit that came from that, because it was in the wrong purpose, the wrong motivation, it wasn't tied to godliness. It was me-centered. It was look what I can do. And if you're doing that this year in that practice, that is a beautiful practice. I exhort you as one of your... What is your motive? What's the purpose for that? There are godly purposes for these spiritual practices. And Timothy and Paul is saying, make godliness one of them. God can meet you where you're at. When I was applying the wrong purpose... To this practice of reading scripture in a year and rename it from this text that God will just use it to conform me to Christ likeness guess what the practice became a joy it wasn't a drudgery anymore I was not doing my spiritual chores and there was, there was a punishment coming and I got to fall in love with God through his word where the word is a means to God. We don't worship words with God's word. We worship God. Scripture is simply a means. It's a vehicle to fall in love with Jesus. And that is the great, the great key when it comes to any practice. They hold zero value. They're set, they're, all they're meant to do is put you in place of God's grace. So what changes could you make to pattern your life to train for godliness? The greatest gift you can give anyone is your own personal relationship with Jesus. Your own personal godliness. Your own... That's the best witness. Answers for Bible and gospel and life's hardest questions, there is a place and a time for that. And also... Your own character is a good witness as well because that's the life of God in you, going through you. Paul says, Christian, keep your life clean. Keep your hearts pure. Defend your heart from the impurities of the culture. Keep your lives holy. Be devoted to God. Make room for God. And his grace will meet you. And his grace will empower you. Go there. So, where we started, this divine dilemma as we close, this God commanding what he wills and God willing what he commands, he ultimately sent Jesus Christ to fulfill and model what true godliness is. Seven verses earlier, in the same book, first Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy. In verses uh, three through 16, it's the, one of the earliest Christian hymns that early church would sing about the mystery of godliness centered on the person and work of Jesus. He writes, "Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He, being Jesus, appeared in a body, was a spirit." Was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. There is a mystery of this god, of godliness, yet it's perfected and reflected in the incarnation of Jesus. Christ. It's Jesus Christ like us, Jesus becoming one of us, Godliness. Becoming human. That is the mystery. And yet that's also the invitation that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is what through his grace empowering us to partner with him, he is building his character and his own personal godliness in his people. It's by his grace that there's never been another greater revelation of godliness. Lord Jesus. It's his God's grace that Jesus took on human flesh. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact represent, representation of God's being. He is the essence and wellspring of godliness. The fact that Jesus became like you and became me, that's a great mystery. It is. In this pursuing godliness as a disciple of Jesus, it's a command, and God's grace will bring you and His church there. And how it all works, it's a mystery. But it all points to the person work of Jesus. Believe on Jesus, worship Jesus, testify to His grace in your life, train for Jesus. For his return longing for the day when you will meet the perfect God man face to face and you will do want, want to do nothing else than to give him praise let's pray Father thank you that your gospel does all the work yet you invite us to experience you to encounter you Through song, through preaching, through sacrament, through confession, through community. Lord Jesus, you are in all things in your creation. We give you thanks. You are the great mystery, Jesus, but you are the true, the true Adam. Redeeming a people for yourself. And we ask that you do that now. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.